morning. I'm going to be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, through chapter 6, verse 2. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their sake, died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So uh, if you're a guest, I know it can be awkward, risky showing up to church because you may not know anybody other than perhaps a person who brought you and you don't know what's going to go on. You don't know if you're going to fit in. We get that. Uh, absolutely. But you need to also understand from our point of view, inviting you to church can be awkward and risky because we don't know how you're going to react. We don't know uh, how you're going to treat us after that. So if you're a guest, I think you're going to get some insight today on why we're always talking about Jesus or we're bugging you about coming to church. Because I get it, a lot of people will say, well, look, I, I wouldn't try to change your beliefs. Don't try to change mine. Well, you got to understand, it's inherent in our faith to share our faith. We can't help but share our faith with people because it, it, we're not being disrespectful. We're not being arrogant. We just want you to experience what we've experienced, to find what we found. So before we get into that, let me give, clear up a little bit of misconception here about sharing your faith with other people. I'll give you a simple little true or false quiz. You're going to raise your hand if you think it's true or raise your other hand if you think it's false. First question, most people come to Christ through a pastor. Raise your hand if it's true. Raise your hand if it's false. Yeah, you got that one right. If we're to believe these estimate statistics, then about 90% of people who come to Christ come because of a friend or a family member, right? Not because of a pastor. Number two, 95% of all church members have never led one person to Christ. True, raise your hand. False, raise your hand. Sadly, unfortunately, that is true. 
Again, if I don't know how you know if that's exactly the right percentage, but I, I think it's probably pretty close. Most have never done that. Number three, Christians should not share their faith until they've been a Christian for at least two years. Raise your hand if that's true. False. Yeah, you got that one right too. Uh, in fact, your most productive, effective time is soon after you become a Christian. Why? Because you still have a lot of non-Christian friends. It's You still have that fresh enthusiasm, that fresh witness about the changes in your life. Here's the downside of that. Apparently, after two years of consistent church attendance, we hardly have any non-Christian friends anymore. We've, we've, we have almost all Christian friends, which is great, but we've been cut off from the very people we're supposed to be reaching out to. Number four, most non-Christians have no or little interest in spiritual things. True? Raise your hand. False. Raise your hand. You got that one too. Yeah, most people, in fact, God wired us to have a spiritual thirst, to be interested in connecting with him. Everybody's inherently got that. It's just that they may not be looking for that in traditional religion. So, we come back to what we've, we've come to so many times at this church, what's, what we call the Great Commission. Jesus gave his final call to his disciples in Mark 16, 16. He says, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. And we know the word evangelize comes from a couple of Greek words put together. One means good, one means to announce. So evangelize is to announce good things. And specifically for us, we're announcing the good news of Jesus uh, sacrificing himself and rising from the dead so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life. That's what we call the gospel. It's that good news of salvation. And you read a passage like that, go preach to all creation, go, yes, absolutely, somebody needs to do that. And then you have that little light bulb moment. Oh, I guess that means me. We're all supposed to be doing that right? Everybody is supposed to be in this world representing Jesus and being a witness for him. Because if the world is going to be one to Christ, it's not going to happen through a handful of ministers and missionaries. It's going to be every Christian out there sharing the good news with people. And it doesn't mean that you've got to be a gifted communicator to do it. You don't have to be particularly, you know, scholarly and know a lot about the Bible. It doesn't mean that you have to um, have a real outgoing personality. None of that's true. God wired you uniquely, and you have your own natural abilities that he can use to reach others. Do it in whatever way you can. So our big idea is to persuade and plead with people to come to Christ. In whatever way you can do it. You don't have to do it like me. You don't have to do it like anybody else. God wired you to share. Now, what are our motives for doing that? Other than obedience to the Great Commission, supposed to, said go do this, what are our motives? I'm going to give you three today. First, from 2 Corinthians 5, fear of God. God's fear motivates evangelism because we know what it is to fear God. We, we understand the condemnation that we deserve for our sins, that we have rebelled against God, and, and we know the judgment that awaits us. And when you begin to understand that, it changes the way you do life. And, and you know that you're headed for destruction, because you're going to stand before God one day and you're going to have to give an account for everything you've ever done, every word you've ever said. And that's a terrifying thought. But we've come to know the Lord. Salvation, we've experienced that. So we no longer fear his judgment, but now we still fear for your sake, for those of you who are not in Christ, not forgiven. We fear for you. I mean... I think people have a mistaken assumption about why Christians evangelize because they think, well, there's something in it for them. What, what are they getting out of this? We're not getting anything out of it. 
We're doing it for your sake. I mean, look, we're already going to heaven. We already got ours. But it can't be about that. We want to take as many people to heaven with us as we can. We want you to have what we have. And so we persuade people. We try to. We don't coerce them. We certainly don't force them, as some religions do. Some people will, will literally intimidate you into conversion. They will threaten you with, um, with withholding of financial or social uh, status. They'll threaten you with intimidation, with violence. You know, convert or die. That goes on. But not among Christians. We're just trying to persuade you. It's like, how can we convince you that what we're offering you is the real deal? That this is true? How can we sway you to believe this is true? That if you're not forgiven, you should be afraid of God. Absolutely. He's in the right. You're not. He has all the power and authority. You deserve condemnation. So we try to show people how reasonable it is to receive this gift of salvation, how really foolish it is to reject it. Why in the world would you want to do that? If we didn't care, we wouldn't tell you because we're good to go. But we put it all on the line. We risk offending you. We risk your friendship because we don't want you to go to hell. I don't know if you saw this video some years ago posted online by, uh, by Penn Jillette, you know, the, the famous uh, comedic magical act Penn and Teller. Uh, Pendulet is a, is a hardcore outspoken atheist, but he encountered one of the audience members after a live show and talks about that encounter, and I, I don't think he appreciates me sharing it within this context, but he says this man gave him a Bible. Watch. He said, I wrote in the front of it. And I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me. And then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. 
this guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible. One of the best sermons you ever heard, right? From an atheist right there. And when, he, and when he's using the word proselytize, yeah, I don't know if he would appreciate the applause, frankly, because <laughs> he's still an atheist. But when he talks about proselytizing, he's talking about persuading people that what I believe is true and that you need to convert, you need to join it. I want you to have this. I mean, like, like he says, how much do you have to hate somebody not to tell them the good news? Sadly, I think most Christians don't tell people the good news because maybe they don't really believe it. They don't really believe there's a hell. I mean, that's the way we act, like practical universalists, like, oh, everybody's going to go to heaven somehow or other. The other reason why we don't tell people is we're afraid. We're afraid of them. We're afraid of, of what's going to happen. You know, we fear them more than we fear the Lord. Right? Fear is a huge hindrance. We're afraid to talk about Jesus, and which is the one thing that both Christians and non-Christians agree on. We're all scared to talk about Jesus stuff. Right? It's just, it's just weird. It's awkward. We've, we fear being rejected. We fear being embarrassed. We fear being clumsy and, and offensive and alienating people. So we wimp out. I get it. Been there, done that. I've chickened out more times than I would like to admit. It, it, it's tough. We'll, we'll, we'll talk with people all day about the weather, sports, food, movies. But man, when it gets to the most important things that matter, spiritual things, we just, no, we can't, we can't cross that line. And to overcome that fear, you got to realize how much they absolutely need this. They need it. And we need to let our fear of the Lord, this healthy reverence and respect for the Lord, overcome our fear of people. We, we fear for you. And to overcome that fear of you, we need to understand it's okay to feel afraid. We're going to feel afraid. It's natural. But we got to get past that and, and just... Pray to God for a holy boldness to go ahead and talk anyway. Pray about that. I mean, do what you can to prepare for it. You know, train yourself to be able to talk to people about the Lord. You can do this, but look, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, you're not the one in charge of changing people's hearts. Only God can do that. You're just called to be faithful and tell them. People may think you're crazy, but that's okay. I mean, people thought Jesus was mad too. People in Corinth, that city he wrote to, there were some false teachers there that were discrediting Paul. He's off, he's off his rocker. Paul, Paul's just a crazy old man. He says, you Corinthians, you're focusing on all the externals. You're just looking at people from a human point of view. And so you're downplaying the gospel. They're offering you, these false teachers offering you all kinds of stuff. I'm telling you the truth, what you really need to hear. Go ahead and think I'm crazy, but I'm going to be crazy for God. I'm going to be crazy for your sake. People want to call me nuts, that's fine. It's for God's glory. It's for your good. God knows what I'm about. You should know what I'm about. You know my heart and my motives. I mean, think of that. Why do we evangelize? What do we get out of it? We gain nothing. Nothing. It harms us socially. It costs us financially. It endangers our lives around the world, not here, but so many places. I mean, when people put so much on the line, don't you think there's something to it that what they believe, there must be really something behind that? And we, we want to make it hard to go to hell from here. And God knows that's our hearts. 
We're doing it because we love you and we don't want something from you. We want something for you. And that's the next motive Paul refers to. God's love motivates evangelism. We've experienced God's love. We know what it is to be under his condemnation, but we've seen his love displayed for us on the cross. He loved us before we loved him. And so how can we not love him for what he's done for us? He loved us while we were yet sinners. And Paul says, I'm the most miserable. I'm the chief of sinners. How can you not love somebody like that who's loved you and gave his life for you? I can't help but love him. And and if I love him, I'm going to love other people. Those are the most important commandments he gives me. I'm convinced that Jesus loves you. He died for you. He isn't willing that anybody should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants you in heaven. And since we've experienced God's love in Christ, we're compelled to tell you. He's the one. He was compelled by love to come to this earth and lay down his life and pay the price for your sins. He did that out of love. He didn't have to. And so we want everybody to experience that. We're compelled to tell you that. That's the best news in the whole world. Everybody needs to hear it, that you matter to God. Everybody needs to hear that. He loves you more deeply than you can ever imagine. He's never made a person that he didn't love completely. And he's made, God's made plenty of people I don't like, but because he loves them, I'm compelled to love them too. And it would be unloving if I didn't tell them about Jesus. Paul says, hey, go ahead and call me crazy, but that's all right. I thought, I thought Jesus was crazy too. And worse than that, I thought he was evil. I thought he was an imposter. I thought he was a a, a false prophet. But I found out how wrong I was. And so people might think you're a little bit off. You're you're a little bit insane for being so devoted to Jesus. They may think you're just one of those holy rolling, Bible-thumping, gospel-preaching, fanatic Jesus freaks, but that's okay. As long as you're not being an arrogant, uh, annoying jerk, shoving it down people's throat, they're not going to understand. They're going to misjudge your motives, but that's okay. Go ahead and tell them anyway. Because how does the world judge Jesus? They misjudged him. Look at him. People still think, well, he was a good guy. But come on. I mean, he was, he was poor. He wasn't one of the uh, educated elites. Uh, he had no worldly success. He got himself crucified as a criminal, labeled, mocked, scorned as, as an enemy of the state, a blasphemer of God, a traitor to his people. Wasn't very successful by the world's standards. Certainly did not look like a messiah. And that's why Paul rejected him at first. But how wrong they were. Because he's the only one who's ever fully done what the Lord has expected. He lived a perfect, sinless life, fulfilled the law, accomplished the most important mission of all time, giving his life for the sins of everybody, reconciling us back to God. So do not look at Jesus from a mere human perspective. There's much more to him than that. You need to see him as more than just a good man, more than a wise prophet or anything else other than God in the flesh, the perfect God man, King of kings and Lord of lords. Look beyond. That's why when Jesus says, hey, I'm the the way. I'm not a way. I'm not the best way. I'm the only way to heaven. We believe that. So we really do believe people need him he's not just one of the options he's the only way everybody bad people need him good people need him irreligious people need him religious people need him everybody needs Jesus we're convinced of that Paul says look I misjudge Jesus but I don't want to make the same mistake with you I don't want to misjudge people I don't want to look at just the exteriors I want to look beyond that to the things that really matter because God doesn't look at the exteriors the thing that the world values God doesn't value those things you know your race your nationality your wealth your status your success those things don't matter to God 
We look past those things. I mean, we, we look at some people and we figure, oh, she would never be interested in Jesus, or that guy would be the last guy who'd ever want to hear about my faith. Aren't you glad that somebody looked past your exterior and shared the good news with you anyway? Because if they hadn't, where would you be? You would still be lost. And lost people matter to God, so they've got to matter to us too. We don't do it out of guilt. We don't do it out of pressure. We don't do it solely out of duty. I mean, there is a sense of duty to, do, to sharing Jesus. We don't do it to make God like us more because God already loves us. We do it out of love. He died for me. I want to live for him. He loves others. I'm going to love them too. I already buried my old life, my past, my sins, in the waters of baptism with Christ, and I rose up to a new life with him. So I die to myself. I live for him, for the only one who gave up his life for me to defeat my enemies of sin, death, the devil, and hell. He's worth everything. I'll do anything for him. Because he's made me a new creation. I'm reborn, regenerated, renewed. I have a new heart, new values, new perspectives, new priorities, a new way of living, new motives. I have a new purpose in life, which is the third motivation for evangelism. God's purpose motivates evangelism. What is that? Well, it's the ministry of reconciliation. He's given each of us that ministry of reconciliation. What's that about? Well, who needs to be reconciled? Enemies. We had made ourselves enemies of God through our rejection and rebellion against him. We were at war with God because we had aligned ourselves with his enemies in this worldly kingdom that's in rebellion against God. God wasn't the one at fault. We were. And Jesus is the only one that could reconcile us back to God. He's the only one who could be the one mediator between God and man because only he was fully both. He brought peace, removing the cause of hostility that separated us from God. He, he's the one that took away our sin and turned away God's wrath for us by taking it on himself. He was counted as the one deserving of God's wrath, condemnation by dying on the cross. And we got all of his righteousness. He got all of our sins, all people of all time. We got his goodness and righteousness. What a trade that is. What an offer. Why would anybody want to turn down that offer? Jesus offers a peace treaty with God that has been signed in his blood. And we as citizens of the kingdom of heaven have been transferred from the kingdom of this world of darkness to the kingdom of God and of light. And we now pledge our allegiance to Jesus. You know, when a nation wants to be at peace with another nation that, that is hostile, we send an ambassador there on a diplomatic mission to establish an embassy, an outpost that represents the sending country in that foreign land. And in fact, it's really not the building that's the embassy, it's the diplomatic core. It's the people who are the true embassy. So you can see how that relates to our role. Our king sends us out into this hostile world to represent him, to offer this peace treaty with the world so there will be no more hostility. And that's a very important role, and we are to represent him well. In fact, minister and author John Hendy talks about the need to see ourselves with this new purpose. When you're asked, what do you do for a living? You say, I'm an ambassador for Christ. I support myself by being an engineer. I'm an ambassador for Christ. I support myself as a doctor. 
I'm an ambassador for Christ, but I support myself through teaching, through homemaking, through selling, whatever it is. But I'm an ambassador. That's who I am. So persuade and plead with people to come to Christ. Do you know how to do that? Are you able to explain the good news, the gospel to other people? I'm afraid that most Christians probably cannot explain it simply and clearly, which is why we've always provided for you a very simple tool called the Four Facts of Life. We put it on our uh, website and we have these bookmarks around out in the lobby that you can use, but we've actually updated it now and turned it into an accordion fold uh, little brochure thing that very easily can stick in your pocket or in your wallet in your purse, and you carry this around with you. And when the opportunity comes up to talk to somebody about the Lord, you can just hand them that, or even better, you can get their permission and read through it with them. This is something you need to be familiar with, these concepts. Everybody needs to know this, that number one, God loves you. Number two, sin separates us from God. Number three, Jesus offers a right relationship with God. And number four, you must follow Jesus. So there's a lot of texts you can read through, Bible verses, pictures. You flip it over and there's the response. You need to believe in Jesus, repent, and be baptized. And that's it. That's the simple message of the gospel. You can do that. God has established us here as his outpost, his embassy in the world, and we are his envoys that people can flee to to find that sanctuary and security from this hostile kingdom, from, from God's wrath in this world. We are charged, we are authorized to offer the peace treaty with God, imploring people pleading with people, be reconciled to God while you can before it's too late because one day God is going to declare war on this world. Whose side are you on? you got to make a stand. Right now, God's offering this peace treaty. He wants peace with you, but you've got to accept the terms of surrender. You understand, religions of the world try to negotiate with God the terms of the treaty. In other words, they, they offer up their own negotiating points and you can't do that because God's terms are unconditional surrender we are not in any position to bargain with God take it or leave it if you and, and it's, it's not like it's difficult terms it's you don't have to do anything you accept it you receive and believe and they're the very gracious terms of surrender. When you do that, you are rescued, transferred from this kingdom of the world into God's kingdom forever. We're citizens of heaven now, out in foreign soil, urging people to transfer their allegiance to Jesus. And Paul is appealing to people, don't receive God's grace in vain. Don't let it be a waste. In fact, last week I saw a headline in the Washington Times that said this, America's new religion, fake Christianity. That's what so many Americans follow now, fake Christianity. A feel-good kind of moralism, a therapeutic kind of uh, faith that's, that's just all about being a nice person, doing good deeds, feeling spiritual, living your truth, living your best life now, and that has nothing to do with Jesus. That's your religion. It's fake. You can't call yourself a Christian if you're not actually following Jesus and the treaty that he offers. What a waste it is to, to try and play religious games and go to church and never actually be saved. What a waste it is 
to at one point give your life to Christ and then to turn back from it, to fall away, to drift away from it. It's all in vain. The world tells you, go ahead and, and, and do what you want right now. Enjoy your life right now. Taste everything this world has to offer. If you want to do the God stuff, you can do that later in life. What's the rush? you got plenty of time. And so people procrastinate, don't they? We always procrastinate about the things that matter most. But Paul said, no, 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 today is the day of salvation. Now is the time of God's favor, not tomorrow, because you may not have a future beyond today. Don't waste your life waiting to make this decision. Because the longer you wait, the riskier it gets. The more sidetracked you'll get, the harder your heart will grow. This is all you've got. God is ready to listen to you and to help you today. Don't delay another day. I'm urging you. I'm imploring you. I'm pleading with you. Follow Jesus right now, not later. Don't wait for some sign. Don't wait for some feeling. Don't wait to get your act together and get your life all cleaned up. You come as you are to him right now. Let him deal with those issues because he's ready to pour out his grace. He's not going to count your sins against you any longer. Why do you not? Why would you not want that? So if you're somebody today ready to follow Jesus for the very first time, then we're going to invite you to reach out to us and let us help you with that decision. If you're online, you know, click the link there or text your name here, uh, email us, or, or better yet, just meet with one of us up here at the front after the service. Grab one of us out in the hall because we would love for you to make the most important decision of your life we're ready for you today to be baptized into Christ. We've got towels, robes, clothes, hair dryers, whatever you need. Maybe you, you've believed in Jesus, but you've never committed to him. You've never really been baptized as your own decision. You can do that today. We'll pray with you about whatever's going on in your life. We'll answer your questions. But don't wait another day to get things right with God. Accept the terms and surrender right now. And if you've already done that, the only reason your heart's still beating is God's got you here to share your faith with other people. Is anybody going to go to heaven because of you? Let's take as many people to heaven as we can. And prayer is a very important part of that. I'd encourage you to keep a list of people you're praying for, your friends, your relatives, your associates, your neighbors, and ask God to give you an open opportunity to share the good news with them. Let's pray about that. And right now, silently, go ahead and think of some names or ask God to, to put some names into your mind, uh, people that need to know the Lord, and ask God to help you reach out to them. Father, would you give us more opportunities to show our friends and family who you are and Help us to build those relationships, God, and, and to be bold enough to talk to our friends about you. Lord, would you rekindle a fire within us, a passion and a, and a burden for those who are far from you, God? Would you cause me to cross paths with somebody who needs Jesus and go before me and prepare the way and give me the words to say? Open doors so I can say a word for you, Lord, and, or to begin a new relationship with somebody who doesn't know you. Because I pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's respond in song.